This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I released a video. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Video today called Letter to a Christian Spouse, and it covers in a shorter form on video. It's just me talking into a camera, but it is a message from me to the believing spouse of an apostate. I met this guy in Arkansas last week. I was on a speaking engagement, and he had told me a story. He and his wife, on the day they were married, were both Christians. You know, they had that God belief in common. And then he went through a journey in his life where he realized he no longer believed, and he sort of came out. He told his wife, look, I just don't believe this anymore. And it caused a real strain on the marriage. In fact, she told him outright she didn't want to stay married to a non-believer. They got two kids in tow. You know what's going to happen with the children? And I think as they left it, she just said, I don't want to hear it anymore. You know, don't talk to me anymore about this. And the subject sort of off limits. Who knows what the future holds for these two? But I haven't stopped thinking about this guy and what I might say to his wife if I ever had the opportunity to do so. And so that's what the video is. And if you are more inclined to enjoy a radio podcast version, an audio version of this, the radio show is sort of a more in depth message from me to you. I am speaking now to the spouse of sort of a newly minted non-believer, or maybe the parent of a child who has come out as an atheist, or maybe you're simply close friends, or you were close friends, and now your friend has informed you they no longer believe in God. Maybe they sent you the link, hoping you would listen and perhaps get some insight into what they're going through. That's what I want to accomplish. I want to communicate to you just a little bit of how your loved one got to that point in their lives, because I've been down that path in my own life. You know, I can imagine this husband, this guy, who comes to this moment in his life when he decides, I'm going to figure it out. Now, I'm going to go and ask the really tough questions. I'm going to go out and vet all of these truths. I'm going to tap on the glass. You know, I'm going to just see if it all works out. And I'm going to make this an honest journey. I'm not going to cheat myself. I'm not going to assume. I'm not just going to take everybody else's word for it. 
I want to go and I want to try to figure out, is this true? Because I want to live a truthful life. That's very possibly sort of his story. Everybody's got a different kind of journey, you know. But I can imagine. I mean, in my own life, I came to a moment when I thought, I'm going to go figure this out. I have been so sure of myself. I've been so absolutely unwaveringly sure without really doing my own homework on all of this. I've been a little bit afraid. I didn't want to stand apart from my family. I was unsure what it would do to my relationships. I didn't want to go to hell. But I came to this point where I thought, you know, life's too short. I want to find out, is this true? It's very possible that that's where this gentleman came. This husband had come in his own life. I'm going to go and find out. I want to go figure it out. I've decided I'm not going to be afraid. Whatever the answer is, whatever the true answer is, that's what I want to know. And then he spoke openly to his wife about these challenges that he's likely been wrestling with for weeks or months, perhaps even years, under the surface. And in telling her, he probably realized what the potential consequences were. You know, the cat is out of the bag. You know, I remember the day I sort of came clean. I spoke honestly to a uh, religious family member back when I was really going through my journey. I was a believer, and then I was sort of doubting, and and I hadn't yet realized I was an atheist. I didn't embrace that word for myself, but I was really shaken up. And so I privately said, you know, I, I'm not sure I believe in God anymore. I don't think any of this adds up. And the disposition of my family member changed. Her face got sullen and her eyes became very concerned. And she looked at me in some ways like a stranger. It was weird. Like she couldn't process. How how does someone not believe in God? Now, how do you get to that point in your life? What's happened to you? What trauma has shaken the God out of you, I think is kind of what she was thinking. And her first concern was that I was going to go to hell. I'm scared for you, man. I'm scared you're going to go to hell. And from that moment, I felt the temperature of our whole relationship change. Like, even now, how many years later? I was 37, so that was 12 years ago. Even now, it's, it's a different relationship because she fears that I'm in rebellion against God and against all that is good, and that one day I will pay. I will pay with my very soul. I will writhe in agony forever. That's happening to somebody she cares about, and I think she has real difficulty processing that. Now, interestingly, she's not a devout believer. Doesn't really know her Bible, <laughs> doesn't really attend church. But if you look at her parents, they're Christians. If you look at her parents' parents, they're Christians. If you look at everybody who's a friend or in their inner circle, they're Christians. And so I'm abnormal to them. I'm an anomaly. I'm, I was going to say the freak, but I'm not really that. It's kind of melodramatic. But in some ways, I guess it's appropriate. You know, what happened to Seth? I had a former Christian employer of mine in radio, 
He had said to a friend, I just heard about it through the grapevine. What happened to that guy? And it's a great question. You know, what happened to you, Seth? If you are a believer with a non-believer in your midst, you might be asking that same question of them. What happened to you, man? What happened to you, woman? What happened to you, my child, my friend, my coworker? The person that I used to feel so connected to, and now in some ways I feel like a stranger to? What happened to you? Well, you know, it happens differently, I think, with everybody. With some people, a single event kind of rattles their cage and blows some fresh air through the cobwebs, and they start to re-examine their lives. For other people, it's a thousand little things. Some people are raised fundamentally, you know, these fundamental Christians who believe a literal Bible and a literal scriptural truth, and then they go and vet those scriptures and realize that it doesn't really add up. Other people are just cultural believers who simply came to a point when they wanted greater clarity about who they were and what they thought and what they embraced, what they did not. And I'd wager that your spouse or loved one realized the consequences of telling you about this journey. This is a big deal. If I come out, if I'm honest, if I let the cat out of the bag, well, you're going to tell somebody, and they're going to tell somebody, and they're going to tell somebody, and this news is going to just ripple outward. This may change how you treat me. This may change how the kids treat me. This may change whether or not I'm genuinely welcome at my parents' house or in-laws' house or friends' houses. We all know people who've lost relationships over a difference of religious opinion or political opinion or some opinion that speaks to our values. Just cut off, in some way, cut off. There are consequences. People don't like to be made to feel uncomfortable, and this is an uncomfortable topic. And he came out to you anyway. He told you anyway. Why? What if his employer is a devout Christian and discovers he's an atheist, or at least a a doubter in God? You know, we all know how discrimination works, and I mentioned this in the video. Discrimination laws exist. People who believe or don't believe are, by the letter of the law, protected in their jobs. But we all know that discrimination usually exists between the letters of the law. And it's not uncommon for employers to just sort of find ways to remove the bad apples, the people who make them uncomfortable. Oh, we have an atheist on staff. Well, you know, they have poor communication skills. Or we're simply downsizing at the moment. You have to see your loved one now in the crosshairs. They are now a prime target to be judged, to have the finger pointed at them, to be shunned in some way. At least emotional shunning where people start to cordon off part of their hearts and lives from them. All of these consequences, and he came out to you anyway. Why? And does he realize the consequences for you? What a shake-up this is in your own life. And I get that. This is not the deal you made, right? You married a Christian. You were going to raise the kids. As Christian parents, you were going to raise the children to be good Christians with Christian values. You were going to have church together and church activities and 
maybe a Christian school, and they were going to grow up and have kids of their own and sort of promote the faith down the family line. You had all of these amazing plans. You didn't ask for any of this. You didn't ask for this huge audible that this guy is called in the middle of your relationship, and yet here you are. How'd you get here? How did this happen? I was at midlife. I was 37 when I came to that moment of critical mass. And I'll tell you this, I didn't decide to have doubts. I didn't wake up one day and say, you know, today I think I'd like to doubt everything I once held as absolutely true and potentially turn my entire life on its ear and alienate those that are most important to me. I mean, I didn't do that. You know, I didn't decide that the Bible was problematic. Not really. I simply read beyond the verses that I had been raised with and had embraced in my own life. You know, we'd gone through, we had cherry-picked out the laudable, beautiful verses that talked about unity and love and connection, and and uh, we had made those verses our T-shirts and our bumper stickers and the messages we put on our church marquees. I didn't decide that the other verses should be in there. They were just in there. And finally, I went back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and I read the entire Bible again. But I read it this time objectively. I decided not to skip over. I decided not to excuse. I decided not to equivocate. But to just read it for what it is. To examine it for what it is. And within just a few chapters, I realized it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. There's some real problems here. And even though I was a little bit afraid, I was still a little bit afraid of hell. I was afraid that I was getting it wrong and the consequences. I was afraid I would be punished. I was afraid I'd lose my family. I was afraid I'd lose my job. My employers were devoutly religious. Many of our clients were churches. I was a church video producer for many years. I traveled across the country and I shot promotional and fundraising videos for churches. What if they figured out or discovered that I was doubting, that I didn't necessarily believe the Bible that these pastors were preaching from the pulpit every single day. I was tied up in a knot in my gut. I tell you, I couldn't sleep at night. What's happening in my life? I didn't choose this. I didn't decide this. I didn't even ask for this. I just realized this is where I am. And I made a pledge with myself to continue the journey, no matter how scared I got, no matter how judged by other people I was, no matter how much my family and culture told me I was this or that, that I was rebellious or in the wrong or corrupt or the prodigal or going through a midlife crisis or whatever excuse they threw at me. I came to that moment where I thought, I'm just going to continue forward. I'm going to continue to check this stuff out and see if it makes sense. Time and again, they would tell me, well, even when it doesn't make sense, take it on faith, Seth. Just have faith, man. Christianity is a faith exercise. I would ask about 900-year-old human beings in a time period where people lived to be, what, only 50? How did that happen? Well, just take it on faith, Seth. How did Balaam's donkey speak in full sentences to Balaam? And would I accept the idea of talking animals today? Well, just take that on faith, Seth. 
Why are there two conflicting accounts of the creation story in Genesis? Why don't Genesis 1 and 2 add up? Different orders of creation in the very same book. I thought the book was perfect. You know what, Seth? Just take it on faith. Why would a God who knew everything that was going to happen, past, present, and future, continue with his creation of the world and his placement of Adam and Eve in the garden and the creation of Lucifer and all this, knowing in advance about the fall of humankind and knowing about the drowning of the world and knowing about billions writhing forever in eternal hell, knowing that there were all these problems so many people would suffer, why would he continue with the plan? You know what? It's all part of his plan. Just take it on faith. Why was the Bible voted into various canons by the same people who had screwed up everything else in the world? Why were there so many versions of the Bible? Why have they been translated so differently throughout the centuries? Why can't mainstream Christianity agree on the most basic tenets of their own faith? Is salvation temporary? Is it forever? When you baptize, do you immerse or do you sprinkle? And do you sprinkle with water or do you sprinkle with oil? When you have communion, do the flesh and blood literally transubstantiate into the flesh and blood of Christ or is it just symbolic? When you accept Jesus Christ, do you get both Jesus and the Holy Spirit at that one time with the one prayer or do you require a separate prayer for the Holy Spirit? Is hell a lake of fire? Is it temporary or is it permanent? Is it merely separation from God? Is it the grave? Is the Bible literal truth or is some of it metaphor? Is some of it for yesterday or is some of it for today? And you go through all of these. These are basic, the very tip of the tip of the iceberg questions as people begin to navigate through the Bible. And people just look at you and say, the more it doesn't make sense, the more you know it's true, just take it on faith. And I had come to the moment in my own life when I thought, no. I mean, think about this statement in your own life. You are a Christian who believes in the Bible. On faith, you believe in the Bible and the Christian God. So let's say an Islamist walks up to you and says, Believe in Allah and the Quran. It's the perfect truth. It's the true God. How would you respond if they asked you to take it on faith? A Mormon walks up to you and says, The Joseph Smith story is true. And the Book of Mormon is absolutely true. Take it on faith. Would you agree to do that? A Hindu comes up and declares the truth of any number of Hindu gods, and trust me, they have a ton of them. Would you believe in those gods on faith? Would you just take their word for it? Yes, I have faith. It's true. No. You'd probably ask for more. You would want evidence to back up those stories. That's where I had come in my own life. Most major religions make faith claims. So how do you differentiate one faith from another? How do you find out what's fact and what's fiction? Well, you have to find the evidence. You have to go and look and see if it really does add up. That's all your husband's doing. Except I would wager he's now applying the burden of proof to Christianity. And in his own life, he's not satisfied with the answers he's getting. I was there. The more answers I got back from the apologists and the theologians and the experts, the more I realized it didn't make any sense. Now, if we as human beings want to live truthful lives, what's the next move? I'm in a marriage to a believer, a devout believer, okay? 
and this is a hypothetical, I'm just saying, let's say I am married to someone who is a fundamentalist Christian, believes in a literal Bible and Jesus is the only way, right? And I'm going through some doubts in my own life. What do I do at this moment in my life? Do I lie to my spouse? Do I tell them just what they want to hear? If you felt really strongly about something, if you were going through something in your own heart, how would you feel if your spouse and your family, your whole culture just threatened to cut you off for speaking honestly about something you were going through? Is it fair to expect me, as the doubter, to always be silent, to always mute my own voice? I'm the one who has to sit on my hands and keep the peace, while everybody else can be who they are, loud and proud. They can speak in their own voices. They can promote their own opinions and perspectives. They can be as religious as they want, and yet I am not allowed to be who I am. If you were put in that position, how would you feel? Would you be confused and frustrated? Would you be resentful? Would you even feel like you were in a kind of prison where you couldn't be you? You could never truly be yourself. I didn't choose to be an atheist. I think in many ways we don't choose what we believe. It's sort of a a strange command of many, especially of the monotheistic religions, where we are commanded to believe in God. I think telling me to believe something is a little bit nonsensical, because in many ways my belief is not something I can control. And here's an example. Let's say you and I go up to the top of the Empire State Building, and we stand out on the ledge, and I command you to choose not to believe in gravity. No matter what words come out of your mouth, in your mind, you know what's going to happen if you take one step off the ledge. You already know that you hold to the fact of gravity. You know. And no matter what you say, that's not going to change. And somebody could command you. They could even put a gun to your head and say, don't believe in gravity. But the belief would already be there. If someone came to you and said, believe in mermaids, or believe in Thor, or Zeus, or believe in a fountain of youth, believe my claim that I can cure cancer with tap water, in your mind, you wouldn't buy it unless you'd seen a really good reason to buy it. You would be skeptical. You'd have doubts. You would not take my word for it. That's how many of us came to reject Christianity or whatever faith we may have been raised in or once believed in. We doubted because we hadn't seen enough evidence to really back it up. I like that quote by Rene Descartes. Descartes said, If you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt, as far as possible, all things. The church is freaky about doubt. Christianity is weird about doubt. The Bible does not hold doubt in a good light. The Bible tells us the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Think about the one disciple that we were taught never to be like. And they were busy telling us, be more like Peter and James and John. They never told us to be like Thomas. Why? Because Thomas had doubts. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's standing there, and everybody's saying, it's Christ, he's risen, he's back from the dead. Who's the one person who said, you know, show me the evidence before I buy it? 
Thomas said, show me the nail holes in his hands. Let me put my hand into the piercing in his side. Let me see the evidence that it's really him, and then I'll believe. And then he got chastised by Jesus. You know, Jesus said, blessed are those who've not seen and believe, which is such a strange statement. I would want to know for sure. Thomas, in the story, simply wanted to know for sure. It's the reason that Thomas today is my favorite disciple. Man, he's the one looking for peer review. He's the one that wants to see a demonstration of the claim. And I think a worthy God would embrace that in curious human beings, don't you? Think about the times in your own life when your own doubt Your own skepticism, your own withholding of belief actually helped keep you from trouble. It kept you from making a mistake, from thinking the wrong thing, from embracing the wrong idea, from trusting the wrong person. Think about those moments when you actually were protected because you had doubts. Doubt can be a very useful tool for vetting truth from falsehood, fact from fiction, and for keeping us safe from trouble. I'm pretty sure that your husband or partner didn't choose to have doubts. He just embarked on a journey. He started to add things up, and he realized, you know, two plus two does not equal five. And then once he had that realization, he agonized over how he was going to tell you. Because he wants to tell you. He wants to be honest with you. He wants to share his mind and his heart with you. He wants to share his doubts and his discussions and the questions that he has and the things he's learning. He wants to share all that. He doesn't want to be duplicitous. He doesn't want to lie about who he is as a person, about what he's thinking, about what he does and does not believe. He wants to tell you. He wants to share this with you. And that brings me to my biggest question for you. Do you love your partner? Do you love your husband because of his belief in God? Is that what attracted you to your mate? Was that the clincher? Is that where you said, yes, he believes in Jesus. Now I know he's the right one for me. Or do you love him because of who he is as a human being? Take a long, long look at the person that you knew and the person you know today. Is he honest? Despite the consequences, you know, is he honest? Is he a man of integrity? Does he want to live his life? And does he want to share life with you? Is he funny? Does he make you laugh? Does he make you smile at least? Do you have things in common beyond church and religious belief and mealtime prayers and sort of these faith traditions? Do you have other things that you share together and really enjoy? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your secrets? with the most intimate parts of your life? Is he a good parent to the children? Is he a good father? Does he work with you to provide a secure, loving home for the kids? If somebody out there was to go after his character, was to attack him as a man, would you find that character easy to defend? Is he a good person? Does his life, does his journey, does that have value? Does that belong to him? And should it be cultivated and encouraged, just as your journey, whatever that is, your journey should be valued and cultivated. There's a saying out there that I really like. It says, your beliefs do not make you a better person. Your behavior does. 
Now, it's true that our beliefs often can inform how we behave, but what we do is so often a reflection of what's there. People can say, well, I believe in God, but we can all think of people who believed in God or claimed or promoted, extolled a belief in God, and they were just terrible people. And if you look closely at humanity all around us, there's a very good likelihood there is someone that you admire and consider a laudable person, a generous person, a person to be admired and respected, who does not believe in any God anywhere. They are good, but they are good without God. And you admire and love and respect them for who they are as human beings. Does your husband love you because you believe in Jesus? You know, was that the clincher? Or does he love you because of you? Your person, your attitude, your mind and heart, your passions, your goals, your sense of humor, your quirks, your character, the things that make you who you are. Is that really what attracted him to you and has kept him with you all these years? And the truth is, if the idea of gods disappeared tomorrow, like we discovered definitively tomorrow that no gods existed anywhere, wouldn't those things still be there making both of you uniquely who you are? Now, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not an expert. I'm simply somebody who's gone down this path in his own life. And I've experienced many familial consequences. I've lost a few relationships. I've lost some friendships. And I've often found myself in family relationships that are hugely strained. I get it. I understand. I understand how hard it's been for me. And I also understand how hard it's been for them. And I desperately want to encourage you to take the time and take the effort to see your husband's non-belief in God's for what it is. It's almost certainly not an attack on you. Now, when we have cherished beliefs and somebody sharply disagrees with those beliefs, it can really sting. You know, it's easy for someone who holds a cherished belief to say, hey, this is a commentary about me. But it's really not what he's about. I think he's probably about the data, trying to figure out, is it true? And if he himself in his own life genuinely believes, and he does not, he's not telling you who you should be or what you should or shouldn't believe. He's not, hopefully not, calling you stupid or any of those things. Hopefully there's an attitude, an environment of mutual respect. This is really about his journey. He's not trying to be rebellious for its own sake. He's not being whispered to by demons. He doesn't want to rip the family into pieces. He's not trying to hurt the kids. He doesn't want to break your heart. We're talking about a guy who likely found himself at a place where he never expected to be. And he is now looking at the world differently. He's seeing things through a different lens. In my own life, I used to say that my realization that I did not believe in gods turned my life upside down. I now say it turned my life right side up. But I found myself in completely foreign territory. Like for decades, I'd lived in this cocoon, and all of a sudden I realized there were so many other ideas out here, and there was so much more freedom out here. There was a whole other universe out here, and I was just now at midlife discovering it. And for a host of reasons, evidential reasons, scientific reasons, moral reasons, I no longer could hold to the Bible and the God of the Bible. And then I betted other religions and realized that I didn't believe in them either. I was an atheist. It's very likely your husband simply realized he was in this same place. He didn't ask for it. He didn't choose it. He didn't even want it. He just realized, this is where I'm at. 
This is what I think. I'm an atheist. You know, the word atheist should not be a scary word. It simply means what it says. Atheist. I'm a non-theist. I don't believe in God. And I'll make you this guarantee, and I'll bet your husband would do the same. If the proof for any God was revealed tomorrow, the sky split open, and all of a sudden we find there is now definitive proof, measurable proof, that God exists, whoever he is, or she, (laughs) or it. God exists. I would want to know that. Whatever the truth is, whatever the facts are, whatever the evidence is, I want to know that. I want to pursue the best ideas. And I would wager your husband feels the same way. We all should be seekers of truth, honest pursuers of truth in our own lives. So I want you both to do me a favor. And again, I'm not a pro, I'm not a professional, but I am speaking to you as a friend and somebody who can relate. I want you to find a time when you can both lock out the rest of the world. All right, just put it on the day timer. Go and find a calm, quiet place where you can spend time with each other and just talk. Talk with goodwill, with calm voices, and that's huge, right? No shouting, no defensive posture, no walls, no barriers. Just everybody relax and speak to each other in good faith without distraction and tell him. Tell them what you're thinking. Tell them what you're feeling. Tell them what you're going through, what your concerns are. Tell them what's happening in your mind and heart. Tell them what your values are. Tell them about the things that you still find amazing and attractive in him. And tell them about your concerns and why you have those concerns. Just tell him what you're thinking and feeling. And then listen and take the time to hear and understand how he is thinking and feeling. Ask yourself then if a just and loving and benevolent and worthy God would discard someone who was simply looking to find out whatever's true, who would pledge themselves to a life lived honestly, who simply wanted to find where the evidence was and to follow the evidence toward whatever answer lies at the end. Ask yourself if a worthy God would discard that person, and then ask yourself, If you would do the same, if for a number of reasons you've genuinely come to the point in your life when you just aren't going to make it work, I think that's fair. It happens quite a bit. I'm a divorcee myself. My first wife and I grew apart. We became in many ways different people over the course of years. This happens. I'm not going to sort of watercolor the happy ending, you know, the portrait with all the rainbows and sunshine. I don't have any guarantees of happiness for anybody, including myself. But I would hate to see you throw your relationship away simply because you disagreed on one thing. And that one thing had caused you to not genuinely see him for who he is. Do his beliefs make him a better person, or does his behavior make him a better person? Is that person worth knowing? Is that person worth investing in? Is that person worth defending? Is that person worth loving? And wouldn't a just and worthy God find that that person, on an honest journey to find the truth would be worth loving and worth accepting and embracing and protecting and even respecting and rewarding. Wouldn't a just and loving God say, absolutely, 
You've decided, despite the consequences, you want to live a truthful life. And I think that has merit. To the believing spouse, or parent, or child, or friend, or neighbor, or co-worker, whatever the next chapter in your life holds for you, know that your journey belongs to you, your life belongs to you, and your friend or sons or daughters or parents or spouse's life belongs to them, and they have earned the right to take that journey honestly. That is something I wish for all of us. Thank you so much for listening, and I wish you and yours all the best. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.